Would you just bow your heads with me? Father, we're so grateful that you sent Jesus to pay the debt that we owed that we could never have paid. And as a result of his work and his work alone, we're clean. We can, we're washed, totally white. Thank you for that precious gift. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read our text this morning. It's a rather long section, actually, uh, verses 5 uh, down through verse 25. So you can follow in your Bible if you have one with you, or you can follow on the screen. The words will be there as I'm reading. So follow along as I read the gospel according to Luke, starting chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord." And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold... You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. 
After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. And thus concludes the reading of the Gospel of Luke for this morning. Our God is a promise-keeping God. If God predicts something, it is going to happen. If God binds something with a covenant, it's going to be fulfilled. And if God promises something, rest assured, it will come to pass. Our God is a promise-keeping God. In the very last chapter, last verses of the Old Testament, God promised this. This comes out of Malachi chapter 4, last two verses. This is God speaking. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Does that sound familiar? And the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. God promised that through the prophet Malachi, and then God went silent. And for 400 years, God stayed silent. For four centuries, the children of Israel have been waiting and holding on to this promise at the end of Malachi that this coming uh, Elijah and, and the coming Messiah are on their way. For 400 years, they've been waiting and watching. Just as a frame of reference, our country is only 245 years old. This has been 400 years. A lot has changed in that 400 years from when Malachi spoke until our our text this morning. Greek philosophy and culture has spread throughout the land. Roman occupation and oppression has taken place, and with it came the cruel and barbaric act of crucifixion. That's all new, uh, as Luke is writing here. Back earlier, before our text, the Maccabees staged a revolt. They, They tried to overtake the Romans. Well, that only intensified the anger of the Romans toward the Jews. And the Romans saw the Jews as uh, a, a, a nasty, dangerous, but manageable cancer w- within their empire. They tolerated the mono, monotheistic theistic, uh, worship of the Jews, but they, they were quick to put to death any hint of treason, insurrection on behalf of the Jews. And so the Jews have been waiting all this time, waiting for the day when the Old Testament prophecy would be fulfilled, waiting for the day when Roman occupation would be overthrown, waiting for the day when the grand return of Israel as this sovereign, independent, theocratic nation would exist again. In our text this morning, the day has come. This is the day. This is the big one. The God who went silent speaks. 
once again. And this message is nothing short of incredible. Look again at at verse 5. This is their days of Herod, king of Judea. There's a priest here named Zechariah. He's of the division of Abijah. This is Herod the Great. There's lots of Herods in the Bible. They're all named Herod because they all wanted to be known as the Great One. But there's Herod the Great. That's who this Herod is. Herod the Great, he ruled from B.C. 37 through B.C. 4. That's kind of when most people uh, think that he ruled. This is the same Herod who ordered the death of all baby boys two years old and younger when he heard uh, that Jesus had come onto the scene. This Herod was a wicked, cruel, ruthless, terrible man. He had ten wives over the course of his lifetime. Most of them he murdered uh, because he didn't like them. He thought they were uh, mounting some sort of insurrection against him. Uh, Of all of his ten wives, he had lots of kids. Most of them he murdered because he thought they were trying to to take him over. And so this was a, a ruthless regime in place, King Herod. Here comes this guy named Zachariah. He's a a priest in that day, and the priests of this time were divided into 24 groups, okay? So each group served at the temple for two weeks out of the year. We know that uh, this priest, Zechariah, according to our text this morning, uh, was from the group called Abijah. That comes out of First Chronicles chapter 24. We find out that Abijah was the eighth division of the 24. Okay, Zechariah was a very privileged man because not only was he a priest of his own lineage, but he was able to marry a daughter from the lineage of Aaron. Aaron, if you remember, was the original high priest. This is the brother of Moses. And so uh, this was a great honor for a priest to marry someone else in this priestly lineage. Her name was Elizabeth. And so because Zechariah and Elizabeth both come from lines of priests, their sons, should they have any, would automatically become priests as well. Now, here's one of the things that I love about the Bible, and I love about the details of the Bible, the accuracy of the Bible, and God showing us all these little things that show his marvelous sovereignty as he lays out his plan. And it is a plan of precision that God takes us through. I want you to know this. Zachariah's name means Yahweh remembers. Elizabeth's name means the oath of God. And if you bring these two names together, they spell out Yahweh remembers his oath. Is this just a coincidence? I don't think that's a coincidence. I think God had that plan from eternity past that he would bring these two people together. This God who made an oath 400 years ago remembered his oath and he forgets nothing and he leaves nothing unfinished. And so here comes this priestly couple, Zachariah and Elizabeth. We learn some more details about them in in verse 6. They were righteous before God. They were blameless in all the commandments and statues of God. 
these two are commended for their uprightness. They're commended for obeying all of the commandments of God and all of the statutes of God, statutes of God. This was an amazing biblical, God-fearing, priestly couple, which is what makes the other detail of their life so confusing. Verse 7 says that they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. It was the belief of the day that if a woman was barren, it was a sign of God's disfavor. I can imagine that when Zechariah and Elizabeth got married, they were all excited, they're all looking forward to having their first baby, and, and maybe they were trying to get pregnant and they failed, and their friends would come along and come alongside of them and say, you know, it's okay, it's okay, try again, don't worry about it, you got plenty of time. And as they tried to get pregnant, over and over again, the positive comments from their friends, I suspect, began to fade. And as they began to advance in their years, eventually the positive comments began to give way to comments of suspicion and disdain. Maybe comments like, Elizabeth, maybe God is punishing you for something. Maybe it's something you and in, in, in Zechariah have done. And I can't help but think that Zechariah and Elizabeth, over the course of their marriage, began to feel the scorn and the disdain of their family and friends. In fact, we know Elizabeth felt it because at the last verse she says, finally, my reproach is gone. Probably by the time we read this text this morning, Zechariah and Elizabeth had long ceased praying for a son. It's not going to happen. I think that they have settled in this zone of confusion, wondering why, God, are we being denied the honor and the privilege of a son when we live blamelessly before you, and Luke has gone out of his way to tell us they have lived blamelessly before God. Here, the thing is, God had a much bigger plan that they didn't know about. He had a lot bigger thing that they couldn't see, right? I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're sitting here this morning, and, and maybe for you it's also childlessness, but maybe for you it's something else, something that you don't understand. Why has God withheld this good thing from me? Why, why is I've done everything he wanted me to do? Why am I not getting this particular blessing? I want to assure you, God has not forgotten about you. God has not given up on you. God has a plan for you. It may not be a child. It may not be that particular dream or aspiration that you had in mind, but God will not, and he does not leave you without a purpose. In the meantime, keep doing what Zachariah and Elizabeth were doing, living blamelessly before God, living uprightly before God, because in their life, something amazing is getting ready to happen. Verse 8 says, 
Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. The division of Abijah has been called. Come on, guys. It's your turn. Your division is up for serving uh, at the temple. And so Zechariah left the hill country where he lived to come to Jerusalem to serve one of his two weeks as priest at the temple. Now, we know from the text that Zechariah is old. In fact, he probably is very old. Unlike the Levites who could retire after a certain age, priests never retired. They were priests for a lifetime. And so it might have been a chore just for Zechariah to leave the hill country to get down here to the temple. When he got to the temple, uh, what he found there was very customary. There were about 50 or more priests that served at the temple on any given day. Um, And each day at the beginning of the day, they would draw four lots, uh, and those drawing of lots would assign to them their particular duty for the day. The highest honor was if you drew the lot and had the distinction of offering incense to God. Incense symbolized the prayers of Israel. Because that honor was so highly regarded, if you drew the lot to offer incense to the, to the Lord, you were given that privilege only one time in your entire lifetime. There were about 18,000 priests total. And so if you drew the lot to, to burn the incense, you were somewhat of a celebrity because so few ever drew it. And if you drew it and it was your honor, it was an honor for a lifetime. Do you think it was a coincidence that the lot fell on Zechariah that day? I think from eternity past, God had all this planned out so that the man with the name Yahweh remembers is chosen to burn incense in the holy place on this particular day. The process was pretty simple, uh, but it was nerve-wracking. Three priests would enter into the holy place at the same time, each with their assigned duties. Two of them would finish first, they would exit the holy place, which left only the priest who was to burn the incense. So Zechariah was the only man in the room as he approached the altar of incense. The altar was positioned directly in front of the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies. No one ever entered the Holy of Holies except for the high priest. Zechariah is not a high priest, so he's getting as close to the Holy of Holies as any man is allowed to get without being a high priest. When he got to the altar, he is supposed to burn the incense, offer a brief prayer, and then get out fast. The longer you stayed in the holy place, the higher the chances would be that you would mess something up. 
You didn't want to mess something up because if you mess something up in the holy place, you risk the sudden and intense anger of Yahweh. There was one procedure and that's it. Do it and exit. The people outside are praying as they always do when Zechariah goes in and their prayer is short and sweet. They repeat the prayer as long as the priest is in there. The prayer went like this. May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept the favor of the offering of his people. They would keep praying that. May the merciful God enter the holy place and accept the favor of the offering of his people. And so with excitement and yet with a great deal of of trepidation, Zechariah approaches the altar I suspect he's really nervous. At the same time, he's really honored and privileged. He burns the incense. He bows down and he begins to offer this rehearsed prayer, which was always a prayer for the salvation of Israel through the promised Messiah, when suddenly there appears to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah is troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Now, I don't know how quickly Zechariah's mind was able to process what he was seeing at the time, but his fear of seeing the angel was not just a fright of the unexpected, what he thought he saw was divine judgment because Jews believed and taught that angels only appear on the left side. The right side is reserved for God. And so what Zechariah thought he saw was God himself standing there and he thought he was about to die because no one sees the face of God and lives. By the way, just as a side note, this is the same response of terror that every person in the New Testament has when they encounter an angel. This is why I'm always highly suspect of people who say they saw, knowingly saw an angel and they had this warm, glowing kind of... That is not how the New Testament describes encounters that these folks had with angels. The angel begins to speak. And I bet Zachariah is speechless as he's shaking. What's happening? Verse 13, the angel says, do not be afraid, Zachariah. Yeah, right. Do not be afraid. Your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Your prayer has been heard? What prayer are we talking about? Because the prayer that Zechariah would have been praying at that exact moment was a prayer for the salvation of Israel. But the angel says, your prayer has been answered. Elizabeth will give you a son. So which prayer is being answered? The salvation of Israel or a son? I think both of them are. Both of them are because it's through the son, John, that the proclamation will be made of the salvation of Israel through the coming Messiah. The son, John, 
a priest by lineage, is now a prophet by calling, and his proclamation will be for the king who's coming. What an absolute honor. The angel continues, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Well, of course, Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have tons of joy and gladness because they've been wanting a son for so long. But that joy and gladness will dim in comparison to the joy and gladness that people will have at the message of the Messiah. The hope that's given, the repentance that's offered through Jesus Christ. And the angel says, this guy, John, he's going to be great before the Lord, but he must not drink any wine. He must not drink any strong drink. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment of his mother's womb. This is reminiscent of the Nazarite vow that you read back in the Old Testament. Although it's a little different, the Nazarites of the Old Testament had commandments about their hair, uh, not cutting their hair. And while that is uh, not mentioned here uh, specifically, uh, most scholars think it's probably not exactly a Nazarite vow, but definitely a unique position that John is being given. And in fact, no one has ever been told that they're going to have the Holy Spirit while they were in their mother's womb. This is a special guy. He has a unique and a divine calling. And the angel adds even more. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Those words of Gabriel right there tie this son John to the prophecy of Malachi 400 years earlier. John has a distinct role. He is called to go and prepare the way for the Lord to come. His responsibility is to call people to repentance, to call people back to God so that they have a soft heart prepared for the gospel of Jesus. And he does accomplish that to a large degree. In fact, he will turn many people to the Lord their God. And he will turn the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And then there's this odd character trait that that we find here uh, as as John becomes uh, quite popular. Uh, In fact, hold on to that for just a second. Uh, As John starts preaching, we find more about his preaching in in Luke chapter 3. It's going to catch the ire of the Pharisees. They don't care too much for this guy uh, and his call to repentance. Uh, But John has the the spirit and the power of Elijah. That's going to trip some people up later. In fact, they're going to come to John and they're going to say, are you Elijah? Like, are you reincarnated? And, And John's going to say, no, no, no. I'm not the reincarnated Elijah. I just simply have the prophetic power and authority as the Elijah of the Old Testament. Here's what's interesting to me about what the angel says in verse 17. If you look at it, it says, here's something that's going to result from John's ministry. He says, you're going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. What does that mean? That's a bit of an obscure statement. Turn the hearts of the father to the children. I think it means this. 
true conversion, true conversion to Jesus Christ, true conversion results, among other things, in the revival of harmony and loving relationships in the home. If you look inside of a home where people are truly converted and love Jesus Christ, by and large, you are going to see harmony and a well-functioning family. The opposite of that, if you look into a home that does not have Christ, that does not have true conversion, you will see things like chaos, and drama, anger, disharmony. John's message of repentance and belief in Jesus will bring harmony into the family and it will turn obstinate hearts to the rule of righteous reason, the righteousness of God. This beautiful picture of a a horizontal harmony resulting from a vertical harmony. Those who once rejected the will of God will turn in humility and contrition to God. They'll find hope. Can you imagine poor Zachariah at this point? (laughs) I'm guessing this man is as white as a sheet. He's trembling. His his whole body is shaking as, as he processes for a moment what this angel is telling him. And of everything that the angel has just said and of all the things that are bouncing around inside of his skull, his mind cannot escape one undeniable reality. My wife is old. Maybe a picture of Elizabeth kind of goes through his mind and and he remembers his marriage day, maybe, faintly. He remembers the years of of trying to have children to no avail. But he does not forget when Elizabeth went through menopause because when she hit that day, every hope of having a child was shattered in a million pieces. That's the one thing he cannot understand. So verse 18, Zechariah says to the angels, Angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now to be fair, Zechariah is not the first and he won't be the last to ask an angel a clarifying question. The problem with Zechariah is his attitude and his tone gets him in trouble because in essence, he's saying to the angel, this ain't going to happen because Elizabeth's body doesn't work that way anymore. You know what Zechariah's problem was? His problem was that his eyes were on his problems. And when your eyes are on your problems, you will not receive God's word and you will not trust God's power. When your problem is big and your God is small, you're in big trouble. You got all kinds of problems. This, of course, was unbelief. And God doesn't take unbelief very well. 
Zechariah was really questioning God's ability to fulfill his own word. And why in the world he forgot about all of the people of past that he would have studied and known, in particular Sarah, who also was barren, and in her old age God gave her a son. Why Zechariah forgot that in this moment? I don't understand. But he dared to question the validity of the power of God to this angel. And this doesn't settle well with this angel either. The angel's getting ready to say, do you know who I am? Really? Do you know who I am? Look what he says in verse 19. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. Zechariah's response was both a shock and an insult to Gabriel. How dare you? I stand in the face of God every single day. And my job, and it has been my job in the Old Testament, and it will be my job again in the New Testament, to deliver whatever message God tells me to deliver. I'm at his beck and call, and when he says, go give this message, I go and give that message. I am Gabriel. I was sent to you to tell you this, and it will happen. And if you want to sign Zechariah, and it kind of sounds like you want to sign Zechariah. So if you want to sign Zechariah, I'm going to give you a sign. Verse 20, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The God who was silent and started to speak, takes a man who speaks out of turn and makes him silent. You want a sign, Zechariah? Here's your sign. You're going to talk back to me, then you're not going to talk at all. Zechariah did not believe the words of God directly from Gabriel, and so his mouth is Now, all this time, the people are still praying outside. (laughs) One sentence over and over and over again. Maybe normally it would have only taken two or three times, and that priest would have been right back outside, and they just keep praying and praying. I bet as they keep praying, the, the prayers start to subside, and the whispering starts to happen. They start to murmur. Verse 21 says, The people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. There must have been this deep dread that was coming over them over what has happened to Zechariah. I knew we shouldn't have sent him in there. He's an old man. He messed this up. He must have dropped the incense I bet he bumped the curtain. I bet he said the wrong words. I don't know what he did. Maybe he tripped. He might have broken a hip. I don't know. What's happening to Zechariah? I think worse, they probably weren't so much, I'm sure they were afraid for what had happened to Zechariah. 
But they were also scared that if Zechariah messed this thing up, it was nothing for the fire of God to snap out of that holy of holies and consume all of them. Ooh, finally, verse 22, he comes out. And I think there's this collective. <laughs> when he came out, he was unable to speak, and they realized he'd seen a vision, and they kept making signs to him. I don't know how they were trying to communicate with, with this poor guy. He comes out, he's probably trembling and shaking, and obviously he couldn't talk, so he's trying to describe to them what's happening. And I, I don't know if they also thought that he was deaf because it makes it look like they started to use sign language. And the guy can hear. He, they're just all trying to communicate, figure, figure out what happens. Later, we do find out that Zachariah gets a pen and paper and he's able to write down what happened. He finishes out his week. It says that uh, when the time of his service was ended, he went home. And so eventually he makes his way back home to Elizabeth. And can you imagine the story that he told her? I bet he wrote down every little detail. He probably tried to draw out the, the angel that he saw so she could have some glimpse of what he was trying to say. Well, as I said earlier, God is a promise keeper. And the angel's message to Zechariah came about exactly as he promised. Verse 24, after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach. Why did she stay hidden for five months? Well, we're not told specifically, but my guess is that that covered the time from her conception until it was obvious that she was pregnant because who in the world is going to believe her if she walks out and says, I'm pregnant? Yeah, right. We're not going to believe that until we see it. So she waited five months until she walked out and oh my goodness, Elizabeth is pregnant. She saw it as a sign from God and it was a sign of God. She saw it as a sign of God that she would no longer be uh, 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 under reproach. But we know it's a sign of God for much, much more than that. We'll find out more the next time. Friend, our God is a promise-keeping God. He's made promises to you too. Promises that he will keep. Promises like... If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He's made promises to you like, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's made promises to you that he will be faithful to you through all of life's ups and downs. All of the promises of God through Jesus Christ to you are yes, if you repent of your sin and by faith believe in him and follow after him. And when you do that and you take your eyes off of your problems and focus them on the big God that you serve, you will find that his promises are sufficient to see you through. Take heart. The same proclamation of the gospel that John is going to introduce and that Jesus is going to usher in with all perfection is yours as well if you will believe on his name and bow your knee to him. Why don't you stand and let's pray.
to that end now. What a promise. God, we are so thankful. We, we get to live on this side of the cross. We get to live on, on this side of John the Baptist and the coming of the very Son of God. We get to live here. We get to look back and see all of these promises fulfilled. What an honor. What a privilege. Help us not to squander that. Help us not to waste all the, the time that we have when we could be serving you, we, we could be following like Zechariah and Elizabeth did, blamelessly following your commandments and statutes. I pray for anyone in this room who has never called on the name of Jesus, who's never repented of their sin, God, I pray that you would take the gospel of Jesus Christ. He died and rose for our sin, and you would soften their heart. You would grant salvation where only you can grant salvation. And I pray that as a people, we would be so grateful for your promises to us that we would want to serve nothing else, no other idol in our life, no other person in our life. We would only want to serve the person of Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. Thank you for this gift. In his name I pray. Amen.